There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Tom Bernard Show with Andy Brant Bernard, Dave Schrader, Mike Molina, and the Hackmaster, Ralph Vashem, MD. Now we're talking. We'll be right back. Tom Bernard Show. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt then talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. <laughs> it's been good, ladies and gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? And, uh, e- either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant. Bradshaw and Brian. Walzer Automotive is a Minnesota family-owned business. It started in the 50s. It's grown by leaps and bounds, especially in the past few years, and they now have 23 dealerships spread across two states. The Walzer way includes upfront, no-haggle pricing on every single new and used vehicle they sell. If you change your mind, no problem. Check out Walzer's three-day return and 30-day exchange policy. I'm a customer, my family are customers, and many of my friends have bought cars from them. The Walzer way is really different, and I know you'll be pleasantly surprised. For great deals on new or used Acura, Audi, Buick, BMW, Chevrolet, Chrysler, Dodge, GMC, Honda, Hyundai, Jaguar, Jeep, Land Rover, Lexus, Mazda, Mercedes, Mini, Nissan, Porsche, Ram, Subaru, or Toyota, go to walzer.com, Walzer Automotive Group. Walzer.com. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, Tom Bernard Show. Um, did anybody see Sean Penn last night? We brought this up earlier, but did anybody watch Sean Penn on yes. uh, late night? <laughs> uh no, I, I saw a little bit of an what? interview with him about his, his new deal, but I didn't see him. <laughs> it was really, really bizarre because he, he, well, he said that uh, the Ambien in his system, because uh, he, he had a, a red-eye flight that he took Ambien so he could sleep, and the Ambien hadn't worn off. He then lit up a cigarette, <laughs> and interestingly, uh, Stephen Colbert pulls up an ashtray and, and puts it on the desk and goes, I knew you were going to do that. uh the interview was well what did you think of it melina you saw the interview uh well like you said it was just bizarre i mean it just uh it was if he was just he did not know where he was or he was you could tell he was on something it was almost like either he was high or drunk or something because it was just unusual well ambien can do that that can really screw you up people get up and eat oh yeah or they they make phone calls or they drive while they're on ambien and then they have absolutely no memory of these things yeah, but it might be right, exactly. something else too. I mean, yeah. 
You're it, so cynical, Rob. Yeah. How, but how many people? How many people have been on the late night shows that have been absolutely out of their head, high, drunk, crazy, mm. just, just not right? Cannot I mean, top Joaquin Phoenix. Well, uh, oh, really? How about Crispin Glover when? on the Letterman show when he started? How when long he did after the his fl- Yes, yes. How long after his flight was the uh, interview? Uh, was late. Well, that that show shoots at four o'clock in the afternoon. So, and his flight was when was a red eye. So I don't know. If it, was, it began as a red eye and ended at six in the morning, or yeah, I guess who knows. But I, I mean, ambient at the very most, any effects are going to be gone within six hours. Okay, well then it wasn't. So, that. Oh yeah, I'm wondering. It wasn't that he was because it's, it's technical duration of action, uh, aka its biological half life is only three hours, mm-hmm. and after that point, half of it is still in your system. So there could be still some, you know, something going on, just not as strong. But then after that three hours, there's so little left that it's uh, yeah three half life. It's not going to affect gone. you. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Well, he, so I don't know. Unless he took two, which don't do that. Could have and had a cocktail he, uh, or two. You think? You, you never. Oh yeah, benzos plus alcohol will yeah. mess you up. Right. Have and by the secret mess service you up, I mean kill you. contacted you? <laughs> Because that's the sort of thing you can't even make jokes about. Like, that's the sort of thing that, that they take very seriously. This is a fiction uh, about fictional people. It is, on the other hand, also a kind of venting. Because I think there's also that what happens as you get older is your idealism gets chipped at a bit. And then you're looking for hope. And in my case, to get to 57 years old, and when I need hope the most, it's, it's, it's harder and harder to find. Um, this is a way to have a kind of operating room laughter uh, and, and not just spend my time angry or part of the device. Oh, just so bizarre. He, he takes a cigarette sound. out and just he lights it up mm. live on air. And Stephen Colbert does not know what to do. I mean, it's just totally off the you know, script. There is it even one. FCC, I mean, FC, is he FCC regulated? No, the television yeah. show is, yes. Mm, so, yeah, they still say no smoking, don't they? Yeah. Or is that over? Really? You're not allowed to do smoking no on TV? That doesn't they make sense You weren't for me. a long time. Oh, God, there's um, that great scene from the old Tonight Show where uh, you got Don Rickles uh, and and George... Was it Don Rickles, George Goebel, and... Um, and uh, Dean Martin sitting on the couch, and Dean Martin keeps flicking oh. his ashes into George Goebel's drink <laughs> through the exactly. entire thing. And they they were all smoking. Even Johnny used to have a heater going during Johnny the show. Johnny would smoke on air. Yeah, when, in, in yeah. years gone past. Then he tried, yep. and he would hide it because I think it was uh, maybe the FCC regulations. But oh yeah, they they were they were lighting up all the time. Yeah. yeah. For a long time, you weren't allowed to uh, depict smoking in any sort of positive way. So you could have characters smoke, but only if they, like, you know, hated it or something. Only if they hated smoking or were jerks themselves. Yeah, but I think that's probably over with yeah. by Jack- now. Jackie Gleason smoked on The Tonight Show, I remember seeing. Yeah, he did. He absolutely Everyone did. smoked back then. Back, back Before they knew the health risks, you know, why not smoke? I, I guess. I remember uh, flying to Florida to with my dad in oh, early 1970s, God. and the entire plane oh. was a... A haze of gray smoke through the entire. Are you in first hand or second hand smoking section? (laughs) Yeah, I was in the all hand smoking section. Unfortunately, it was brutal. Yeah, it got really bad. I remember restaurants having non-smoking and smoking sections when I was a kid. And the tables were right next to one another. They don't do that anymore. No, there's no smoking at all. There's no question. I have a feeling it's going to come back though. We got our tit in the ringer many many years ago because. On April Fool's Day, the KQ Morning Show announced that the smoking ban was over and you could smoke in any bar or restaurant you wanted to. (laughs) (laughs) And people actually (laughs) fell for it and were lighting up. It's like, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. It's a lot of power you wield, Tom. <laughs> Some people were not too didn't think it was funny. I will tell you that. Oh. What the hell's the matter with you people over there? What's wrong with you, Tom? Why didn't you, uh, you know, lift the gay marriage ban years ago? Yeah, I should have. You should have just gay cut, cut all the new ago. laws in Minnesota. They listen to you. Uh, absolutely, we'll just get them all going. It's oh, we. When the show first started, I will never forget. And so, somebody deleted the audio, which pisses me off to this day that they ever deleted that audio. But 
Uh, when the show first came on, we used to poke fun at everything and everyone, which had never happened in the state of Minnesota before. Nobody, you know, Minnesota is very politically correct. Uh, and then we came on the air and I was like, ah, what the hell? We'll just go after everybody. This guy called in and he, he sounded like he was probably about 80 years old. <laughs> and he calls in. God, I wish I still had the audio. It's got to be out there somewhere. Somebody had to have it recorded somewhere. I'm sure, yeah, there's some tape in an attic somewhere. But this guy, he leaves a message to the, for the general manager. What the hell's the matter with you people over there? Let me just let you know something. There's no room for comedy in radio, newspapers, or television. <laughs> and hangs up. <laughs> But I know somebody, a certain doctor, that used a, a complaint call on uh, their radio commercial. Oh yeah, get that, get that uh, filth off there. We had some we had our ads get that, that had filthy ad off the air. I've complained before. <laughs> yeah, they complained about the Reuben, and there was a you know a woman's a part of a woman's brush was showing in a Reuben painting of our ad that was animated. Oh, filth off the great there. ad. Yeah, we get that filth off the air. Get that filthy thing off the air. I've complained before. <laughs> well, it's like the Heineken ad they just pulled because people deemed it racist. Which one was that? It's I'm like a bartender uh, slides a Heineken past uh, a bunch of people who are black, and it gets in the way of a white uh, glass of wine, and it says, lighter is better, and the person who's drinking the Heineken is white. And a bunch of people are in an uproar. Oh. Come on. It's everything now. Is that everything? Yep. Look, in Ireland, they do nothing but drink uh, dark beer. Does that mean that's uh, racist? Uh, in I mean, come on. When are they going to let go of that whole thing? Yeah. Well, they, How, we've said, I've said it before. America is the most racist country except for all others. Yeah, except for all others. Okay, and, I, and I've said, and people get pissed off at me about this, but it, I'm sorry. Proof positive that America's not racist is the fact that Steve Harvey has 15 jobs on television. Yeah. Okay? That's proof positive right there because he's not funny in the least. He's not a good host. And the guy has $9 billion jo- Good for him, except for he abandoned his family. Uh, but other than that, uh, seriously, the guy's got no talent at all. And he's got, doesn't he have like five TV shows? Yeah, something like that. He's got the he's one got with the kids. Family Feud. Family Feud, uh, he's got the Little Big Kids or whatever it's called. He's got the Steve Harvey Show. Have you ever heard his radio show? He does a morning radio show. Huh. Uh, he starts every morning off with a prayer, which good for him. I, you know, that's his business. But I suppose nobody in Minnesota would, would uh, carry his show because they don't. there's no, no praying anywhere. There'll be none of that. Uh, KTIS oh, yeah, allows that, right? Well, it yeah, dip- KTS, does an it? urban Minnesotan market? No, they would never. But a rural one would. Yeah, I don't know. Where's KTIS? Uh, hold on a second. Let look what? up where KTIS's uh, transmitter is. It's in it's Bethel College. Yeah, right over by Roseville, is it? isn't it? Oh well, that makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, right over by Roseville. Uh, yeah, right, right by Roseville. See, but now I'm on the other side. I like Steve Harvey. I think he's good at what he does. I give the guy really? a lot of credits. Well, sure. Think about this. Who is the biggest uh, black entertainer? That people looked up to, they they talked about and could do it all. That was Bill Cosby for the longest Bill time. Bill Cosby, and yep, then you're then right. there's this, uh, you know, there are these negative connotations towards him now. And Steve Harvey has stepped up, and you know, when you look at, you know, I've heard a lot of people complain about his um, kind of mugging and silliness on on the uh, Family Feud. But if you look at all of the people, except for Richard Carn, uh, who had personality, did it. Even Louie did it. He'd do the slow burn and the look to the cameras and the snide remarks. Yeah, it just, yeah that's true. When you're on there, it's not really about hosting. It's just getting the, from point A to point Z. And I think he does that well. And he, and he knows how to draw the biggest laughs out of stupid situations. And he's letting all of us in. He's our voice on that show. It's all the people really? watching it. You see him? Yeah, because of the way, when you watch it, watch it with the idea that he's us. He's us laughing at just how stupid some of these answers and some of the questions are and the way they do it. And I think that's kind of why he's he's so big. It's because he's relatable in that sense, and he's giving us well, the vocal. Be. So when you're yelling yeah, at the TV and the screen and and uh, you know and you're laughing at the stupid remarks, he's just doing exactly what we're all doing at home. 
And then with the rest of the shows he's got, that's that's where his, he he found his sweet spot. Man, I think that's fantastic when you can come into that sweet spot and know what you're doing. It's like Ryan Seacrest. To me, on the other side, Ryan Seacrest is the most milquetoast, bland performer I've yeah. ever seen. Oh, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. But he's yeah, on everything. He's on everything. I think yeah. that's why people like him is he's just like a neutral presence. Yeah, I don't get him either. I don't understand the guy. That guy is a big producer. He's the he's the head producer of the Kardashians, right? How the hell he ever saw that coming and saw the value in that? I have no idea. But he was right on the money, man. Uh, Except when it came to knock knock. Yeah, knock knock uh, live. That uh, didn't work out too well, <laughs> and I did it. I guess you know what I'm what I'm judging from the, the kings of comedy because mm-hmm. Steve Harvey was on there and he wasn't funny in the least. And Bernie Mac was on there, and I think Bernie Mac was one of the funniest people ever born. So I think that's there's a certain, I guess I have to use the word prejudice there, that I just thought Bernie Mac was so funny that compared to him, the rest of the people on that show were not funny in the least. Right, but that's that's, that's the case. that's probably what, what it's from. That's a case on a lot of these shows, right? I mean, when you look at the it Seinfeld yeah, reruns, absolutely. that show is considered to be genius, and you and everybody talks about what I a genius Seinfeld was. He his no. genius was he was good at putting a really strong, funny, weird supporting cast around him, and yep. they were the funny bits. And then his reactions were what yeah. we what we enjoyed. But he wasn't funny. He wasn't that good in that no, series. He wasn't. It was everybody no, else was that not. that made the show what it was. And a good show, I think, that's what they they deal with. You know, I mean, when you talk about kind of the weird reactions, look at the old Jack Benny show, right? For those people that uh, ever watched it, it was slow burn. Yeah, for the septuagenarians. Mm -hmm. Right, but even when you got Ralph Cramden, I mean, that guy is one of the biggest muggers on the planet Earth, Jackie Gleason. Of all time. He made the career out of that. Yeah, exactly, but it's just, you know, it's comedy is subjective. I will see some comedians that I'll watch and I'll be like, I don't get any of this humor whatsoever. And it's the same kind of jokes that maybe Jay Moore tells that I think is hilarious. But you watch the way some of these comedians blow up and others just kind of hang in this middling court. And it's just, it's a subjective deal. But when you, I think when you break down what the guy does, I I think he fills a very necessary port that shows, here, here, look, he's fighting every stereo and typecast, right? He's not lazy. He's not boring. He's not relying on everybody else to make his life happen. This guy gets out and Mm -hmm. he moves and he shakes and he entertains and he does it unapologetically on his radio show with a prayer. Good for him. That's fantastic. If you can pull that off, no, I I agree with that. Yeah. So I mean, I think it's I think it's pretty remarkable when you have a celebrity that's willing to stand by their convictions, do what they do, and then look at the absurdity of life on the other side. I think it works out pretty well for for uh, entertainment value. And I'm not a big fan of another a stand up either. Have, no, stand up's terrible. Um, another big problem I have with him is he sent out an edict to all of the coworkers: don't look at me and don't talk to me. I'm not wild about that at all. Now, he, I think, saw the error of his ways and rescinded that order, but he he didn't want people to look at him or talk to him that he worked with. I'm like, oh, Yeah, but a lot of comedians are really quirky, and they're really unbalanced. That's too quirky. It's true. Yeah. We'll be right back. Tom Bernard Show. I'm Brad Huckle, president of North American Banking Company. Ask one of our bankers what they love about business banking. They always say the relationship with the client. Case in point, True North Oral Surgery and Implants is a longtime customer with a growing practice. Their banker, Julie Marshall, knows the ins and outs of what they do. So when they need working capital, an equipment loan, or funds for expansion, they call Julie. Are you looking for a banker you can count on? Give us a call. This is Tom. Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience. Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. This is Tom for Flow. For the past 35 years, Flow's passion to invent a better way has created some of the finest recreational products available. Flow's Cargo Max trailer line is a perfect example of their innovation. This trailer is redefining the utility trailer industry. They start with a strong aluminum frame and then add a thermoform polymer bed. It gives you a nearly indestructible one-piece trailer body. And since it's molded, it adds style that the trailer industry has never seen. They even beat it with a large sledgehammer at 20 below zero to prove how tough it is. Best of all, you'll never worry about dents, rust, rot, or paint. Visit their website at floeintl.com to find your local dealer and to see videos of this unique trailer, including a video showing hockey star Ryan Suter shooting pucks at it, trying to break it. You'll quickly see how Flow has earned the reputation for quality products and offering you more for your money. Flow. 
a better way. I snorted cocaine for about 15 years with my dumb ass. I must have snorted up Peru. <laughs> I could have bought Peru all the shit I snorted. Could have just gave him the money up front and had me a piece of property. <laughs> I started off snorting little tiny pinches. Said, I know I ain't going to get hooked. I don't know coke. You can't get hooked. My friends have been snorting 15 years. They ain't hooked. <laughs> now, there's the problem that all comedians have for me. Nobody has ever been funnier than Richard Pryor. He was unbelievable. He took chances that nobody had ever taken before. Uh, hell of a life. And he I mean, had what that, a right. He, he also had like, that physical humor. He had physical, man. Yes, he, he, he did. When he was on stage, he was all over the place. <laughs> Mel Brooks was very smart. He had blazing saddles. He didn't like it, the, the, you know, the, the uh, script. And he handed it over to Richard Pryor to tune it up. And Richard basically rewrote the whole damn movie. And it is still one of the funniest movies I've ever seen in my entire life. Richard Pryor was a genius. And why was he a genius? Because of the life that he had. I mean, his grandmother was a madam. His mother was a hooker. His father completely abandoned him, and he'd show up once in a while and beat the hell out of him. I mean, Richard Pryor had, he had one hell of a horrible childhood, and what did he do? He, you know, just turned it outward into comedy. He could talk about anything. He was, he was amazing. Oh, was he funny? Uh, he was incredibly funny. I never got a chance to talk to him. I talked to his daughter, Rain, uh, quite a bit. She's a very nice person, by the way. And then I understand his son tried to, and this was a big mistake. Your Richard Pryor's son, and the first time you appear to any notice is at the Apollo. That's not a good idea, kid. Because of the fact that you're at the Apollo, everybody's going to think you're Richard Part Two, and you're not. Uh, maybe the kid's funny. I don't know. He might be very, very funny, but that was not a good idea. Whoever encouraged him to do that is an idiot. Well, going back to Bernie so Mac, what know. was that story about Bernie Mac at the Apollo? I know, I think you've told that on the show where he was up there and somebody in the crowd was going after him and he, he went right back at him. And I think it got to the oh, point really? where it escalated to the point where there was like uh, police intervention for fear that somebody would actually oh, get hurt. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Bernie Mac put up with nothing. <laughs> I remember Bernie Mac. Bernie Mac came out and said, Pete like talking about their babies all the time. They're talking about my baby, my baby, my baby. Everybody loved their baby. It's unbelievable how much they love their baby. I think personally, that by the time a kid turned one years old, you should be able to punch him in the in the stomach. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as they turn one, you should punch him in the stomach. <laughs> he was unbelievable. Uh, but, you know, it's different. I guess different exposure. People are exposed to people at different times. Uh, yeah, I mean, I understand your point about if you think – that Steve Harvey mugging the camera is is kind of looking at you going, yeah, I know how stupid this all is. Um, I don't know. I, I, I well, don't know he, he also I has think... something on his side that guys like Louis and Richard Dawson and, and uh, Richard Karn never had was the fact that they have this viral marketing. So when there's a funny bit right. or segment, it's on Facebook, it's on Twitter, it's on YouTube. And yeah, that just true. builds the the deal. And when you and let's face it, there's gold in them Nar Hills. When you hit those kind of those deals and you play it up, it's going to bring a lot of people in because they want to see that happen when they're watching the show. So it's great viral for what it is, you know. And, and the guy knows how to play. Yeah, it. that is true. He does know he does know how to play that stuff up. There's no doubt about that. I I just I don't know that. There's just something about him that I just don't care for. Well, again, he the story is, and I could look it up, but he apparently left his wife and two small children to go out and become a star. Now, if he abandoned his family, I'm never going to think he's funny. And and that's what everybody tells me. I mean, somebody could look that up. Uh, uh, right, but do you know how many celebrities that are huge oh, I know. that fall into I that know. same vein? They left who was with them at the start and, and started over. So I... And and the problem I have with that is too on some of these celebrities' cases is I don't we, we don't know what the story was back there. Right was was his right. wife always handpecking me? You're never going to be anything. You're stupid to think that you're going to be a comedian. At one point, he's just like, you know what? This is my dream. That's the way you feel about it. I'm out of here. And he went out and he he had complete success. So we don't get the the mm-hmm. backside of knowing what that real story is. And maybe it's just that he's a a, a jerk and let off. 
And yeah, maybe yeah, you know, but maybe there's there's more to that story too. So it's it's you know it's hard for me to tell on a lot of these deals because uh, you just don't know where they're coming from. And I love that's why I love listening to um, these autobiographies. You know, and and you hear uh, from the celebrities and where they come from. And boy, you know, if you took just parts of Dick Van Dyke's story out, here's one of the most beloved yeah. humans in America. The guy's in his 90s and he's still dancing and prancing, and he's going to be in the new uh, Mary Poppins movie. But you know, I mean, he cheated on his wife, uh, left her, and yeah. and started yep. dating his yep. his boss's secretary or something, and married her, and or never married her, but got together with her and spent the rest of his life with her. So you know, every one of these celebrities right. has got something that to mainstream America might be like, oh, that's that's wrong. Why would you do that? But you know, then there were other aspects of their career that lifted them above the the issues from where they came, just like. I, if I remember reading the the Steve Harvey thing, one of the behind the scene deals on this was when he kind of put that edict out to not talk or bother him. It's because he's he is so busy going from show to show and doing all the things. When he's in his downtime, he's trying to be prepped for the next deal that he has to do. He's running through the monologue. He's running through whatever he's got to do, and people would take him off course. And you know, doing radio, Tom, you, you're. Apple cart can get upset real easily and take you off into a totally different direction. Can you imagine oh, having yeah. having two or three TV shows you got to do plus a daily radio show? You know, I, I'm not making it okay, but his edict might have been more along the lines of, "Listen, I just need my time to focus, and when I get downtime and I'm not being filmed, I don't want to talk to people. I just want to, I want quiet. I want peace. I want to do what I got to do." Right. Exactly. Ooh. I, I did check that out. Uh, did he abandon his family, uh, his wife and his two daughters? He uh, left his first wife and his two daughters to chase his dream of becoming a comedian. That did happen. Mm-hmm. He admits that it happened. He talks about finding uh, uh, finding uh, forgiveness from his two daughters for abandoning them. But um, that might have been a good idea, and it might not. Steve Harvey's ex-wife demands $60 million from the host. <laughs> The 60-year-old family feud and Little Big Shots host has been accused of mental anguish in the long report that was not filed by a lawyer. In it, he has to be left alone while he was preparing for his Steve Harvey show on NBC. Oh, that, yeah, it talks here about don't look at me and don't talk to me. Do not come to my dressing room. Uh, that whole thing. Uh, yeah, I guess you would have to read through it. But he did do the things that, that I was told he did. He did abandon his family mm-hmm. so he could become a star. Yeah. I mean, he did do that. That's hard to get past for me. It really is. It is. Uh, and if no, you look on the other side of things, look I at these people everything. that end up staying because, and then they have such resentment, they end up beating their children and their wives They're or right. they end up doing things. That's that, true. It, you know, in, in those true. cases. And again, I'm not making claims that it's okay to do these things, but, you no, know, I it's understand. so hard unless we're walking in their footsteps to know where, where did they really come from? What was his mindset during this? And was he going to be so frustrated that, you know, Sometimes you, you, you go outside your, your comfort zone to do yeah. what you need to do. So I don't know. You know what's really odd is his first wife, who's suing him for 50, or for $60 million, has decided she doesn't want to hire an attorney. She just wants to sue him. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> so good luck with you on that one. Well, $60 million for mental anguish? That's well, a lot of money. Mental anguish is mental anguish. I don't know. You yeah, know. I bet. Steve Harvey wasn't always a successful comedian fans have grown to love. He had to make some tough choices along the way to get to where he is now. One thing for sure, the best-selling author knew he belonged on TV, but he just didn't know how to actually get there. Growing up, oh, it doesn't talk any about this. It, what this is is a lead into pick up the upcoming issue of People magazine on newsstands Friday. It's like, come on, man. So they, they lead you into the story, but they never tell you the story. But I don't know. Yeah, and, and you're right. Who knows what had happened there? Who knows if you know if his wife was a psycho? Uh, but still, leaving two little girls behind—that's pretty hard for me to get past. It is. It just is. I, and I, again, I get that aspect of it. But then you also know that there yeah. are people that stay in a, a loveless marriage. And do you want to show uh, by example yeah. that hey, it's okay to stay where you're brutally unhappy? And you know. Uh. You know, right. you're walking the fine line between that's what altru- I'm altruism and narcissism. Right, but that's I'm, there, yeah. there's a thin line. Yeah. Sometimes you have to. I I do believe that sacrifices sometimes have to be made in order to not let children see that. You know, if if you're an abuser in an abusive relationship, either way, and you got to make that tough break. I think it's better for kids to see that it's okay to walk away from something that is bad for you than staying in it and ending up a statistic. 
Yeah, I, I just I wish I'm trying to get through the story to did he totally abandon his two daughters? Did he not talk to them for years and years? You can't find that. Right. Every story leads into pick up People magazine or make sure you watch right. tonight's uh, Entertainment Tonight. Probably they because they it will isn't. will not tell you. Right, because then it's libel and slander. So that tells you something that if, if even the rag mags aren't willing to say that definitively and come out and say that that's what he did, probably didn't. It was probably he kept in touch with them. But just, you know, look at Roseanne gave up her kid before she was she was big. You know, I mean, uh, a lot of these celebrities have children that they, you know, kind of left in the wake. Or you've even got a lot of these celebrities who, who had their kids and shipped them off to be raised by somebody right. else or left them in the care of of uh, maids uh, or or nannies all the time so it's you know and that's still going on so is that bad parenting if they're still out following their career but they've got somebody else paying for it you know and doing the job well i mean here it says here i'm uh harvey won the 50 dollars first prize during his first shot of performing he quit his job the next day that decision did not go over well with his wife and the mother of his two daughters her name is Marcia. I'm married. I have twins, Brandy and Carly, now 33. I'm supposed to provide for them, but I had to take this chance, he recalls. Harvey continued to struggle and only made $3,000 as a comedian in his first year. He and Marcia went on to separate and uh, separate, excuse me, and eventually uh, did get... Uh, see, they cut it off again. Uh, they eventually finalized their divorce in 1994. His relationship with his daughters fell apart, something that he took a huge emotional toll on the comedian. Well, what about on them? Uh, why, it wasn't until they got older that Brandy and Carly finally were able to understand why their dad needed to pursue his dreams. So it doesn't say if he if he stayed in touch with his daughters or not. It says here, years later, they said to me, Dad, we didn't understand why you left us, but we know now you had to go. You just didn't just belong to us. You belong to the world. See, now I'm, it's making me vomit. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's, and, uh, that and, sounds uh, like a handler would, told them to say this yes. for $100,000. Yeah, would, yeah. would they have been asking this? Would they have been reconciliatory if uh, Harvey hadn't been so, so very successful? I mean, now it's getting a little bit smarmy. Uh, I'm not, not going to give the guy a pass. for him? No. <laughs> No reason I, I for him to. I can't give him a pass either. No, no. So I mean, you, you separate, you get divorced. People get divorced. I understand that that does happen. But to, I still cannot find out if he stayed in touch with his daughters. But it certainly doesn't seem like it. So yeah, you get divorced, you separate, you go on to different lives, and I understand all that. You got to do what you you got to do. But ignoring your daughters, that that's something I can't get past. But I cannot find out definitively if he stayed in touch with them or not. I, it's really hard to find out if that happened. So I don't know if it's because, I don't know what the deal is. So I guess I just better leave it hanging. Because if I, if I find out he didn't talk to his daughters, I'll never be able to watch the family feud again <laughs> where every answer now has a sexual reference to it. Oh. Have you noticed that on the family feud now? Well, yeah, all the shows play that innuendo. I mean, Match Game, they brought they that back. Know, yeah. But even if you yep. watch the old ones, uh, you know, with Richard Dawson, there was some of that. And he, but I don't oh, think yeah. they did it much yeah, was. because look at him. He would get kind of disgusted at those questions. But TV yeah, progresses. And, you know, it's always been the, the innuendo. Right, yeah, exactly. One of the uh, one of the questions yesterday because I still I still like the Family Feud because I've watched it since Richard Dawson. I didn't watch it much with Richard Carnes. He was okay. Uh, but Which is I, the one who said making Whoopi all the time? That was uh, the wedding newlyweds, right? Newlywed Bob, uh, not Newlywed Bob. Game, uh, yeah. What the heck was his name? Yeah, Bob Eubanks. Yeah, Bob Eubanks. Bob Eubanks. Yep. Yeah. yeah. First guy to ever bring the Beatles to the United States to play at the Hollywood Bowl. Did you know that? No. Bob Eubanks produced that show. Unbelievable, and tickets were like three dollars or something. It was, it was unbelievable. I don't know. I, I, I guess there's that thing, you know, because my dad was gone by the time I was ten years old. So I guess when when it happened to you, there is that thing that really strikes home with you. You know what I mean? Yes, I do. Uh, well, my dad. Uh, I yeah, never knew yeah, my my real yeah, father either. He took off when my he got my mom pregnant. He was in the navy. Lied to her through his teeth. Uh, you know, oh, I'm going to marry you. Did it? My, we only found out. You know. 15 years ago he was actually married at the time and oh. uh, had taken off yeah so in those see i look at it from a different perspective i'm glad yeah. i'm yep. glad that a scumbag like that didn't stay in my mom's life or in my life <laughs> and, and i well, i now right. know my brother i have a half brother with him and he can't stand my dad my my biological dad so see i think in that case i dodged a bullet well you're probably right probably 100 percent right we'll be right back 
Tom Bernard Show. Just like all of you, I had been hearing about my pillow and was skeptical that it was as great as everyone says. Well, I received my first my pillow and I love it. It's very comfortable, stays in that same exact position all night. Fantastic. Mike Lindell, the inventor of my pillow, has a very special offer for Tom Bernard Show listeners. My pillow is offering more than 50% off his four pack special, which includes two premium my pillows and two go anywhere pillows. If you're looking for a great night's sleep, now is the perfect time to get your first my pillow. If you already know how great the MyPillow is, why not give them to everyone you know? Call 800-516-5146, use promo code TOM, or go to MyPillow.com. But make sure you use promo code TOM. Call 800-516-5146 and use promo code TOM. That's 800-516-5146, promo code TOM. It's Tom telling you how easy it's been for me to lose weight on the Nutrimost Weight Loss Plan. I've started up another round at the new Nutrimost Plymouth location, and those unwanted pounds are going fast. I've lost over 34 pounds. Nutrimost is so easy, and they guarantee that you'll lose 20 pounds or more in just 40 days. There's no exercise, shots, drugs, prepackaged food, and I'm never hungry. Nutrimost has helped me change my life, and I know they can help you too. Nutrimost of Plymouth is hosting a second free informational dinner. Learn how to have success losing weight just like me. Neil Sheehy, Nutrimost client and owner, who played nine years in the NHL and is an agent to some of the NHL's current top players, will be at the dinner, and so will I, actually. It's Monday, April 30th, 6 p.m. at Jake City Grill in Plymouth, located around the corner from Nutramost, just off Highway 55 and 494. Space is limited. Call 763-333-7337 to register. That's 763-333-7337. <laughs> Melina, were you listening to KQ Morning Show this morning? Uh, bits of it, yeah. I had it in the background. Did you hear Did you hear this song? Yeah. The reason I ask you is because this is an example of anti-female music in rock and roll. Yep. Like Sweet Little Sixteen, sung by 30. You're 16, you're beautiful in your mind, sung by a 34-year-old guy. <laughs> <laughs> Can't do that anymore. You're looking back, you're like, ugh, man, that's creepy as hell. But hey, Joe, because he, he shot her down, he shot his woman. Hey, Joe's on the run because he shot and killed his woman. Oof. So that that song was one of the examples of uh, treating women like dirt in rock and roll music. Yep. But Dr. Joe Christiana would never do that. I know that to be a fact. Right, Dr. Joe? <laughs> You're absolutely right, Tom. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. Dr. Joe Cristiano. I like your last name, by the way. It's a good yeah, last Italiano. name. Yes, Italiano. Uh, stem Cell Revolution, Joseph Cristiano, ND, CNC, CNHP, is a renowned health and fitness coach and author of the new book, Stem Cell Revolution. Dr. Joe has both personal and professional experience with adult stem, uh, stem cell therapy and activators. The significant benefits of adult stem cell therapies compared to traditional medical uh, treatments. Every Tuesday we have uh, Dr. Ralph Basham on the show as well. Do Dr. Basham, I've never talked to you about stem cells, I don't think. Have no, I? no, we haven't really talked about that. Although one of the areas, What's the, your, well, one of the areas of the body has the highest concentration of stem cells is fat. Is fat? Yeah. So I didn't a, know very that. high concentration of stem cells. How stem cells are the body's natural repair crew, and what they do to heal the body. How adult stem cell therapies are administered. How the activators step in when uh, adult stem cells are damaged or dysfunctional. And who benefits from stem cell tre treatments? There's so many things to talk about, Dr. You don't mind if I call you Dr. Joe, do you? No, that's great. Okay, Dr. Joe, how did you get so uh, so interested in stem cell uh, it, it, it research? I mean, obviously, stem cell revolution. Stem cell, there's been a big battle. It was, was that a, a religious battle, like using stem cells? Was that a religious thing? Because I, I remember several years ago, there was a big deal about stem cell research and we got to stop doing it. No, we got to keep doing it. What was that all about? Well, you know, you know, Tom, that, that's where uh, the pushback comes from. Um, most people probably aren't too much aware of stem cell, at least to where the advancement are today. In the back in the early days, uh, it was embryonic stem cell therapy, and of course, you got uh, it became a very controversial topic from a lot of groups because of the the means in which they obtained the uh, uh, embryonic cells, but. Uh, stem cell therapy is, is by far advanced where now we're using our own uh, genetic materials. And so um, th that, that is still a topic, an issue, but 
I think if a person can get educated, just even at the one-on-one level, they can see that, uh, like I mentioned, it's really advancing now. Uh, it's really becoming a new norm in orthopedic medicine because uh, it's minimally invasive, and we're using our own natural materials, and they're really, it's really efficacious. Uh, you asked earlier um, what prompted me or what got me involved in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I lived with chronic pain my entire life. Even as a teenager, uh, even in, even though I was in sports and, and lifting weights and everything, um, uh, I, I dealt with the lower back problems. And, you know, as a kid growing up in training and being in sports, you know, we kind of throw a little dirt on it and move on. You know, we don't make a big deal about it. But, you know, over the years now I'm aging, and uh, the competitive days are gone, the the heavy lifting days are gone and things like that. And uh, now there's <laughs> I'm dealing with keeping my seams together. And so... Living with chronic pain about yeah. six years ago, I ended up in a walker. Now you got to understand, I have a, a, a huge fitness background and competitive bodybuilder and powerlifter. So I've been physically active my whole life. But uh, I got to a point where I could barely move, and the pain was excruciating. So that really prompted me to start uh, doing some investigating on my own, and uh, that takes us uh, back to 2008 when I really had my first stem cell treatment. So from there, I could um, attest to. You know, not only uh, the hype, quote unquote, but uh, the realities of it. And for me personally, so when I saw what it could do, and and I felt what it can do, I, I thought, you know, I want to just pursue this a little more because it really becomes a means for me to to uh, keep my condition, uh, the chronic pain, under control, and and it gives me a better quality of life. And from time to time. Uh, because some of my conditions are degenerative and, and beat up through the years through sports, mm-hmm. uh, I require a few stem cell treatments here and there. That's a, it's very very uh, interesting, Doctor Basham and Andy. You you know what what are the condi- what's the condition that my hands? See, I was a power lifter as well, Doctor Joe. Oh, and, okay. And I cannot put my hands together like like in the prayer position. It's probably yeah. just scarred tendons. I cannot put my hands together. The joints at the bases of both of my thumbs are severely damaged from uh, doing a lot of deadlifting. I, I am one of those guys. I have, I have very short legs that are very, very powerful, and I have long arms. So I was a, a I was made to deadlift. Yeah, sure. Uh, and I was the exact opposite as far as bench press is concerned. I have very long arms, and therefore. I have to, in order to bench press, I have to move the bar a long way with a lot of weight on it. So yes. it was just yes. not made for me. But all that deadlifting over the years and, 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 and lots and lots of weight and therefore doing a lot of leg work as well. And that's one thing that always fascinated me, Dr. Joe, because I've been around, around powerlifters and professional wrestlers my whole life. Those guys do not want to do leg work, and it's hilarious to me. You see these massive NFL players. They get huge upper bodies, but their their calves are the size of a woman's. <laughs> yes. They won't yeah. do the leg work. Uh, yeah, you know why? It, it's so demanding. It is. It's, you know, it's really. It, it'll demanding. really kick your butt if you're, if you're not if you're doing it right. But a lot of people want to go through that much work. You know, I'm listening to you talk about your your wrist and 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 the. the inflexibility there and mm-hmm. you know not only your deadlifting but also your pressing your your yes. uh, you know your assistant movements you know your presses your dumbbell work and the barbell on the bench you know you, you've got that wrist uh stretched and cranked and uh, you add all that torque and that psi that's going on there that pounds per square inch man mm-hmm. and we are just creating uh scar tissue over the years that's exactly what it is. It's my ring finger on both my hands that I cannot straighten. I can straighten the other fingers. I'm doing it right now. Uh, my pointer finger, the fu finger, <laughs> my little finger. I can, I can. When I stretch my hands out, but my ring finger on both hands, I cannot to extend. I cannot extend it to the same height as my other fingers, and that has yeah. to be. It's just damage to tendons, as Andy said. It's scar tissue. It's just. It's a weird thing. Yeah, well, you know, there's a very likelihood of the adult stem cells are damaged in, in the tissue as well. Mm-hmm. And without the ability or the functionality of the adult stem cells, uh, tissue can't heal. Uh, cells can't, can't repair. So that's why whether a person has stem cell therapy um, injections, in this case, it would be more of a, of a musculoskeletal condition, so mm-hmm. therapy with injections or, or an IV, uh, an IV wouldn't apply necessarily to the musculoskeletal, but for, for any degenerative illness. But uh, 
that that might be something to consider, my friend. Uh, it just uh, the fingers you can get away with, but when it's your knees or your hips yeah, or your lower yeah, back, yep. uh, those weight bearing joints, that's when people really are struggling. Oh, I can see that absolutely. Uh, does it, Doctor Bashman, does this apply at all in any of the work that you do? Uh, a little bit when we do fat graft injections into the. I'm a plastic surgeon. The, the, we do fat graft injection into the face. People talk about how uh, the facial skin is uh, regenerated or a little bit. Uh, another thing is that whenever we do fat graft injections to do breast reconstruction, many women will say that they have a uh, they regain some of the sensation of the skin, which has been disrupted by uh, the most uh, complex or severe mastectomy. So, yeah, th- this can do a lot of healing. And I, and I just want to ask. Whenever you do the injections into a joint, does it actually reverse the condition or just help uh, reduce the inflammation? Well, actually, two, two factors. One, the mesenchymal cells uh, actually start to, I call them the anti-inflammatory bands, uh, bombs. They, within hours to the first 48 hours, 90% of the pain is gone because the inflammation is reduced. So the, the, that joint in particular is ready now or prepped for, for healing. And then, then the, the replication of the, of the adult stem cells that have been injected, now they, they become, uh, they become it, through, through differentiation, they become uh, cartilage, it would say, in the knee. And so over time, and that's months after the treatment, uh, the body actually starts growing back uh, the, the cartilage. So when a person will say bone on bone, they're really at that point given not many alternatives or many options for treatment, but uh, replacement surgery. And so uh, when, when a person can take advantage of stem cell therapy in that case, uh, they can just use their own genetic material and, and actually grow new cartilage back. And over time, that bone-on-bone condition, which is very inflammatory, um, is, is healed. So yes, it, it, it knocks, off, knocks out the inflammation and it also uh, repairs the tissue. That's, that's what's so phenomenal about it. That's why I think it's becoming the new norm uh, in, in orthopedic uh, medicine because, you know, we really don't have any options today, or the options we, I should say, the options we do have in conventional medicine are, are limited. They've been around forever and they'll be here forever. But, uh, you know, stem cell therapy has come along now and, and it's really becoming that disruptive therapy it's knocking out the old way of doing things for a better new norm. That makes complete sense. Uh, Dr. Basham, you agree with that? Oh, yeah, I agree with that. And where are they getting the stem cells? Is, is, are they getting stem cells from the blood, or are they doing uh, uh, bone marrow aspirates? Well, you know, they're, they're actually uh, getting the abundance. And I think you mentioned it earlier. They get the abundance of, uh, and I mean multiple hundreds of millions of more adult stem cells from the adipose tissue. Yeah. They're actually going, they're doing mini liposuctions. I've had it done several times myself. It depends on how much. Uh, what percent of body fat you have, but people that generally carry more tummy or belly fat, uh, they'll go in and, and pull out so many cc's of, of, uh, of adipose tissue, and then they put it in the lab, and then they ex- extract the uh, uh, cells themselves and prep the syringes and, and uh, inject there. Now, you could get it from bone marrow uh, from the hip, and that's a little more in- invasive, but um, I think uh, from the studies and, and from what I understand with the, the doctors I work with, uh, the adipose tissue really has the abundance of uh, of the adult stem cells. Yeah, that, that's that's it's it is fascinating. And and the, and when I was when I was in medical school, and as a resident, I was always taught that oh, the part of your body that really has the least uh, ability to fight infection is the fat. But I think the reality is is that the chance of having lip, having uh, infection after liposuction is almost minuscule. And, and I, it really, the fat represents the second defense of your body when uh, the skin is damaged. So fat has this high concentration of stem cells and truly has the ability to fight off infection and is your second line of defense. That's why there's so many stem cells there and stromal cells as well. And, you know, one of the things, one of the things that really is not completely known is that when we do uh, these sort of things, you know, you're also, when you do the extraction, you don't, you extract also stromal cells, which are undifferentiated as well. And, you know, both those can be beneficial, and no one knows exactly 100%, 1,000% why this is all working, but it does seem to work, particularly in the orthopedic uh, uh, realm. Yes, and, you know, and I, 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 even though it's advancing uh, and, and making wonderful uh, uh, advan- uh, wonderful uh, inroads to healing bodies, it's still, uh, I think it's still uh, a... a um, a work in progress, you know, because uh, I, I remember working when I first had the problem with my hips uh, back in, in uh, 2008, I had to go to Honduras. I went to Tegucigalpa to a clinic there 
because at that time, the FDA apparently, across the board here in America, wouldn't allow certain uh, types of therapies, stem cell therapies. Of course, it's different today, but uh, I went that far to have my, my uh, hips treated. And uh, here, I'm, I'm coming from the old school, you know, like suck it up and hang in there. And uh, of course, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I only fell so many times with 600 pounds across my shoulders and uh, uh, squatted with over 750 pounds to the point where those hips, I, I, I couldn't hardly walk anymore. And uh, 10 years prior to that, 10 years prior to 2008, I, I went to orthopedic surgeon here in, in Orlando, Florida, and he said, buddy, you need a hip replacement surgeon. I said, you're talking to the wrong guy. Of course, that was my pride. Eight years later, when stem cell really was coming on strong, uh, even though I had to go out of the country, um, and I went through a pretty intense... Uh, uh, therapy because uh, they took out, um, I think they took out uh, maybe 500 uh, cc's of adipose tissue. They went into my belly and behind my lower back, and um, I was actually put under. They could not get my hips. My What happened, long story short, I let my hips go so bad that they couldn't be treated. Now, today, the, the, the uh, procedure may be advanced to where uh, it doesn't matter what condition you are, but I kind of tell people to give them a heads up listen don't don't suck it up and live with that pain you know life isn't about how much pain you can endure but you know you're, you're getting banged up and you're limping and you're, your whole lifestyle is kind of um, uh, slowed down it's worded why don't you uh, look into this but i've had it done in my cervical spine uh, my lower back my shoulders uh, wonderful results but those hips they couldn't fix and eventually i had to have uh, bilateral uh, hip replacement and so a lot of people that I've met in, in uh, the waiting room had knee replacement, right knee replacement, and they're going in for therapy, I'm sorry, for a stem cell therapy for the left because they don't want to go under the knife again because they're still having problems with, with, the, uh, uh, with the knee that they already had uh, a procedure done on. So um, it's kind of like a little bit of uh, reactive and proactive, you know, uh, you live with we live with chronic pain, but uh, we're really doing damage if we don't uh, address it and try to nip it in the bud. And with these new uh, therapies that I talked about in the book, it, it really gives a person a little more options and uh, treatment options than um, you know cut and replace. And it works for me. The book is called Stem Cell Revolution, Joseph Cristiano. And if you don't know how to spell Cristiano, you've never met an Italian. <laughs> Dr. Joe, thanks for your time today, sir. <laughs> Thank you, Tom. Thanks a lot. That'll do it for today. Thanks for listening to Tom Bernard Show.